I will praise you with my whole heart. I will glorify your name always. For great is your loyalty to me. You deliver me from the depths of death. Proud people stand against me, God. Violent mobs who do not respect you seek my life. But you, Master, are a compassionate and grace-filled God. You are slow to anger and demonstrate great loyalty and faithfulness. Turn toward me and show grace to me. Give your servant your strength. Rescue this child of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your goodness. Then those who hate me will see it and be ashamed. For you, Yahweh, help me and comfort me. So I've chosen for my final passage uh, to preach on here what is described as a prayer, a prayer of David, one of only two psalms that has this title. And I remember reading a book on prayer a few years ago, and the first chapter of that book, I can't remember who wrote it now, but uh, was entitled, the first chapter was, All Prayers Are Good Prayers. All Prayers Are Good Prayers. Now, that's not literally true. It is possible to think of a prayer that is not a very good prayer. You could say something completely heretical and selfish and so on. But the point the author was trying to make, which is a valid point, is that whenever we reach out to God and we communicate with him, whenever we talk to God, whenever we engage with God, whenever we vocalize how we're feeling towards God, that is always a good thing. That is always a good thing. And God is always pleased to hear from us. But, but we shouldn't um, avoid the fact that some prayers are better than others. And I'll come on to that as we look at this psalm together. Uh, I mentioned this is the only psalm with this, this title. And it's, it's more personal. That the, last, the previous two weeks, we've looked at the previous two psalms. And they've been more corporate in their nature. They've been psalms that were probably written to be sung, uh, maybe in the temple or in, the, in the, 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 the religious community into which they were being written. But this one seems very personal. A prayer of a particular person with a particular name, David, King David. And it takes us on a journey, and if you've got the handout, I've divided it into five, five chunks of uh, you know, three or four verses each. And I think they take us on a journey from ourselves, from being self-focused, towards God, And then as we encounter God and we see God for who he is, then we learn to see ourselves in the light of God. The great Reformation theologian, uh, John Calvin, started his great work of systematic theology with the insight that that everything, the, the only two things that really matter, which is knowing ourselves and knowing God. And those two things are interrelated. We can only really know ourselves in the light of God. And the, the translation I've given you is it's quite a literal translation, actually, probably slightly more so than the NIV or others you might be used to. And, and that's deliberate. Um, you know, starting in verse 1, lower your ear to me, which the NIV sort of rather, I think, rather glosses as hear me, Lord. But it's, it's very physical. It's treating God as if he has ears, which, of course, God doesn't literally have ears. Um, but, the, but the psalmist is quite, is, you know, is thinking of God as a person, and it's a very, very personal psalm. 
you might think, well, it's, this translation looks a bit different to what I'm used to, and uh, there's various reasons for that. It, it was originally written in the Hebrew language. Hebrew is a language that's very econ- economical with its words. So any English translation's probably got about twice as many words as the original Hebrew. You have to insert little words to make it sound okay in English. But also the words in Hebrew, they often have a breadth of meaning and can be translated in different ways. And that's why, in a sense, I've, I've deliberately given you a translation that's, that's literal but also might contrast with, with another if you, if you brought your own Bible with you. So let's, let's look firstly at this first, this first section, these first four verses. And, and what strikes you about them? Does anything strike you about them? That's not a rhetorical question you may answer. I put it in the bulletin, so you've all had lots of time to think. Anything strike you about those verses or the psalm in general? Do you think those first four verses are a good prayer? Does anyone think they're not a very good prayer? See, I'm going to be slightly controversial here. I don't think all prayers in the Bible are necessarily good prayers. I think they're honest prayers, and I think that the, the psalm starts... In a, in a less good place, I'm not. All prayers are good prayers, but it could be better than those first four verses because they're very, they're quite me-centered, aren't they? I, I got into trouble a few years ago by saying that Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish in Jonah two. I don't think it's a very good prayer. And you see, when we, I'm not saying it's not saying I'm not saying the Bible isn't. You know, all Scripture is good, God breathed, and we're supposed to listen to it and learn from it. But we're going on a journey in this this psalm from I think a less good prayer to a better prayer. And the the, the psalm starts with a lot of me's. It's slightly whining. It's slightly self-absorbed. But it's a good prayer because it's real. And I'm not saying it, it, you shouldn't pray like this, but if you stopped here, you'd probably be missing out. It's good to be real with God. And the Psalms as a whole are a collection of songs and prayers and poems which, if nothing else, encourage us and give us permission to be completely real with God, to tell him exactly how we feel, even if it is a little bit whining, even if it is a little bit self-absorbed and self-focused. The Psalms encourages us, the Psalms encourage us to say it anyway. Better to say it than not to say anything to God. That is what the Psalms are telling us. Don't be silent with God. Don't give him the silent treatment because things are not going well. Talk to him and tell him how you feel. Tell him how upset you are. Bad you feel. Start here being real. It's it's personal, and there's some personal names. So we've got David. We've also got in the translation I gave you Yahweh, which if in many English translations is normally uh, in deference to to Jewish uh, practice, which never vocalizes that name. This is the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. But at, at some point in Jewish history, became regarded as so holy that it shouldn't be pronounced uh, for fear that you, we might take the names Lord in vain. And therefore, most translations put Lord with, in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all in capitals. You've got an NIV, for example. That's probably what you see. But that's indicating that the word, it's God's personal name. Um, in, in Old English, it used to be said Jehovah. It's, it's the same word. It's God's personal name. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong about a lot of things, but they're right when they tell you that this is the personal name God revealed. And it's a personal psalm that encourages us to address God by name. So we get David talking to Yahweh, but we also get, do you notice, a servant talking to his or her, well, I translated it master, and you might think you don't like that. Um, most translations translate it Lord, not in capitals, because this is just the common Hebrew word when addressing somebody in authority. It might be a slave addressing their master. It might be someone um, addressing somebody they regarded as, as more senior to them. I thought about putting, oh, I've given the game away now, this is my translation. Um, I thought about putting boss, but I thought some people might be upset by that. But it's that sort of concept. It's, what, it's how you address somebody when you want to show them some kind of respect and deference. And these, these words, servant and master, uh, come throughout the psalm. And then sometimes um, the psalmist addresses um, God as God. Verse 2, you are my God. So we get Yahweh, we get God, we get master, different ways of addressing the Lord, personal things. But my question to you, before we move on from these first four verses, is... is What's really on your heart? We've, we've thought about this a little bit already. Fiona's helped us think about this already. What's the thing that actually, perhaps you're slightly embarrassed to say this to God, but it's actually the thing that you'd like to say to him. And the psalm encourages us to say that thing, even if it's not that spiritual and it's not that holy. What is the thing that's actually burdening you at the moment? What is the thing that is getting to you? What is the thing that if you were just like God to deal with it, but you're sort of... It seems a little bit whiny to ask him. It seems a little bit selfish. Well, this psalmist says, talk to God about that. Start your prayer with God by bringing that thing to him. Shall I give you a moment just to think what that thing is for you? Okay, let's proceed. Verses 5 to 7. Now, I would like to suggest to you that the prayer starts to get better. It's a good prayer to begin with, good to start where it does, but it starts to get better. Because what does it say? It starts to talk to God, who it addresses as master, and it starts to say some things about God and the kind of God he is. And that is always a good thing to do when you're praying. Start to lift your eyes above the stuff that's troubling you and think, what kind of God am I worshipping? What are some words I can use that will express what I know God to be like? And they're not, you know, they don't have to be clever words. Good. I mean, this is just a common Hebrew word that you would use. Um, it's the word that Jewish people still use when they say good morning to each other. Bogatov. It's, a, it's, a, it's just good. God is good. Is God good? All the time. God is good. Tell him he's good. God is good. God is forgiving. When I was lost, you came and rescued me, reached down into the pit and lifted me, we've sung. God is a forgiving God. God is a God who doesn't want to, to be out of relationship with us because of the stuff we've done. Remind yourself of that. Praise God that he is that. Master, you are good and forgiving and abounding in loyalty. And there's, there's this wonderful Hebrew word. If you asked a, an Old Testament scholar, of which I am not, um, what, is, what is the one word in the Old Testament scriptures that describe what God's like? They probably say this word. It's, it's hesed in Hebrew, and it's in different English translations would, would translate it as loving or faithful or merciful. Uh, but it's a covenant word. 
And the relationship, it, it, it talks about the relationship God wants to have with his people, which is not a contractual relationship. It's not, if you do this, I'll do my bit, and if you don't do your bit, then all bets are off. It's, this is what we've agreed, and if you don't do your bit, I'm still going to keep on loving you. That's a covenant. That's what marriage is supposed to be like. It's supposed to be a picture of the covenant God makes with his people. And this is a covenant word. And, and so I've used the word loyalty. God is a loyal God, and it it comes up later in the psalm. You see it in verses 13 and 15. Which words would you use to tell God what he's like? What are the one or two or three words that you would say to God that would articulate the kind of God you think he is? And not just ideas you've made up, but what you know because he's revealed it in his word and in your life. Just think about that for a moment. In verse 6, um, the, the, the David says, Yahweh, hit, give ear to my prayer. Uh, echoing perhaps uh, uh, verse 1 a little bit, this, this idea that God actually has an ear, um, that he's going to sort of turn towards us. I remember when I was training to be a minister, um, I chose that. Do you know that Teze song, O Lord, hear my prayer when I call comfort me? I think I chose it once. And the, 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 the minister who I was sort of, um, who was my senior minister, said he didn't like that song. Because God always hears our prayers. So why would you say this sort of rather pleading song? Oh, Lord, hear my prayer. And, and I, I, I um, drew his attention <laughs> to Psalm 86 and others. Um, because the point is, God does hear. When, when we're God's children, he's always going to hear our prayers. But it doesn't always feel like that, does it? And sometimes this is part of the honesty of praying. That we say to God, look, God, it, I'm not even, it doesn't feel to me as if you're listening. It feels to me as if my, my prayers are hitting the ceiling and I'm not getting anywhere. Lord, hear me and show me that you hear me. That's, that is also a good prayer, isn't it? Thank you. It's a good prayer. Okay, let's move on. Verses 8 to 10. Now, now we're at the heart of the psalm here. We're in the middle section. And, and a feature of Hebrew pro- poetry is often the real meat, the real truth, the real beauty of it is in the middle. Sometimes it's the end, but very often it's in the middle. And here it is in the middle. Because although um, even in verses 5 to 7, which I said were better than the first bit, so there was more of a focus on God, there was still a fair focus on me's and I's. But look in the middle. There is no me and I in verses 8 and 10. It's all about God. I have moved out of the picture mentally as I have started to think of the kind of God God is. God, well, we would say by his spirit, has helped me. It's helped to to transform my focus. So I'm not just thinking about me and my problems and my issues. I'm now wholly lost in wonder, love and praise as I think about the kind of God I worship. Master, there's nobody like you amongst the gods. Nothing like what you do. All the nations which you've made will come and worship you, Master, and will glorify your name. For you are great and do amazing things. You alone are God. Interesting, isn't it, that uh, David talks about gods as if they exist. God with a small g, so-called gods, we might say. But other gods do exist in the sense that if we make things, if we worship things, then they can become gods to us, can't they? Counterfeit gods, idols, 
things that cannot bear the weight we place upon them. There's nobody like you, master, amongst the gods. And, you know, in ancient times, that might have been little statues made of wooden metal and stuff. But, but we have gods as well, don't we? We have gods. We have the stuff that actually we're, we're, we're worshipping, we're building our lives on. It might, be our, it might be our career, it might be our studies, it might be our, our relationship, it might be the stuff we have and we want. It might be w- what we think people think of us about our physical appearance. Uh, it might be our, you know, our online profile and reputation. Counterfeit gods. They're not, they are real. We've made them gods, but they're nothing. There's nobody like you amongst the gods. There's nobody that can bear the weight of our worship and adoration in our lives. Even the nations around us, which seem so threatening, they're nothing compared to you and what you're like. It's the heart of the psalm. I've moved out of the picture, and it's all about God and his name and his glory. But it took a while to get there, didn't it? It took a while to get there to that, what we might say, pure worship. I had to start with me and my issues. And God, by his spirit, had to help me move from them to think about himself. What's at the heart of your prayers? When you look back on your devotional life, maybe over the last week or the last month, what's been the pinnacle? Where have you got to? And would you like to get a bit higher next week? Would you like it a bit closer to God? So So you're really... Lost in wonder, love, and praise as you think about the kind of God he is. And you compare him to all the other stuff that you can so easily turn into a God. Well, we've reached the, the top of the mountain there in the middle. And now, and now, in a sense, we start to go down the other side because it comes in verses 11 to 13. It comes back to me and I, and yet in a different way. Because it becomes more, instead of, well, here's what I want, you know, make me glad, make me happy, turn my life, make my life nice. In verses 11 to 13, that's been transformed into, God, you show me how I should live. Teach me which way I should go. Make me wholeheartedly awestruck when I think of you. It's, it's coming back to me, but it's asking God to help me to live and to think and to speak and to behave in the light of the mountaintop I've just been on as I've been worshipping God. It's actually, it's not so much my circumstances that need changing primarily. It's me that needs changing. And that's what the psalmist is recognising. It's a change of perspective. It's not that annoying person over there that needs changing. It's not that threatening thing over there that God needs to take away. The first thing God needs to deal with is me. And having seen something of who God is, I've started to recognize that. Yahweh, teach me which way to go. Then I will walk in your truth. Make me wholeheartedly awestruck at your name. Master my God, I will praise you with my whole heart. I will glorify your name always. For great is your loyalty to me. You deliver me from the depths of death. What would you like God, what do you think God would like you to be asking him for? What would you think God would like you to be asking him for?
might be different to the first question I asked you, which what is the big thing that's bugging you at the moment? You can talk to God about that thing, but maybe God wants to get you a place where you're actually thinking, actually, what's, what's God's perspective on this? What's the thing God wants to deal with in my life? And you might get the impression that um, actually the psalmist's problems have gone away. Actually, while he was praying, God dealt with it all and everything was going to be nice and comfortable. Well, not so, because when we read the beginning of the final section, actually the problems have not gone away. Proud people stand against me, God. Violent mobs who do not respect you seek my life. The problems are still there, but my perspective on them has changed. But you, Master, are a compassionate and grace-filled God. And if you know your Bibles, you know that that is a quote from Exodus 34. So when Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he says to God, I want to see you. I want to see your face. I want to see what you're really like. And God says to Moses, you can't do that. You you just can't see me. That would be, you'd be dead in a a moment. That would be too overwhelming. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in a cleft in the rock and my glory is going to pass you by. And as my glory passes you by, I'm going to say some words to you, which will be the closest thing that I can reveal to you about what I'm really like. And what were those words? They're these words quoted here. They come up quite a few times in the Old Testament. They're significant words. God is a gracious and compassionate God, abounding in love and faithfulness, slow to anger, rich in mercy. That's the kind of God who has revealed himself to me. And there's that grace word that comes uh, in verses 15 and in verse 16. God gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. That's the kind of God we worship. So the psalmist's perspective has changed from, you know, back in verse 4, make me happy, God. Make me happy. Make your servant glad. It's, it's an okay prayer, but it's not the best of prayers. To show me what you're like, God. Help me to understand who you really are. Show me your character. Isn't that wonderful? And there's a, there's a, there's a word there, um, the rescue word. So, so Fiona talked to us about, well, we saw the little videos, didn't we? The donkey and the, and the dog, and we sang the song. When I was lost, you came and rescued me. But this, this, this word I've translated, ref, re, rescue, this is the Jesus word. This is the word that is, uh, when, when we read in the New Testament, the, 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 the command given to Jesus' parents, you shall name him Jesus, for he shall rescue, deliver his people. This is the word. It's the word that Jesus came to fulfill. When I was lost, you came and rescued me. Rescue this child of your maidservant. Funny, why, why suddenly a reference to maidservant? Nobody really knows. But what does that remind you of? I mean, maybe I'm clutching at straws a little bit, but also in the beginning of the Gospels, what does Mary say when God says you're going to bear a son, even though you're, you know, you've never had sex, you're going to bear a son, you're going to call him Jesus, and Mary responds, behold the, the maidservant of the Lord. I'm not saying the writer of this psalm knew that's where he was pointing at. 
but I'm saying that as we read, as we read backwards, as it were, as we read a psalm like this in the light of Jesus, we see it can only really be fulfilled in him, the one who is able to save and rescue us, the one who came to encapsulate God's mercy and grace and all these other words that have been used in the psalm. Where are your prayers leading? It's really important that our prayers always lead to Jesus somehow. We only, we only really, we, we say, we sometimes throw in, and don't we, as our, our closing line, in Jesus' name, amen. The, the point is, when we say in Jesus' name, we're, I suppose we're recognizing that, that this relationship we have with God, this ability we have to talk to God at all, it's because of Jesus. We can come right into his presence. We know we are accepted because Jesus has come and he's died for us and he saved us. He saved us to restore us and reconcile us and bring us right in to a relationship with God. And when we say amen, a Hebrew word that means, yes, this is true. It's true and it's faithful and it's strong and I know I can stand on this. So what we're going to do to finish, we're going to read this together. And uh, then we're all going to say amen at the end. But as you read, I want you to think, uh, where am I in this prayer journey? Where is this taking me? Uh, how, how, so, so say it, but say it to God and say it to yourself and think, actually, where's God challenging me in my prayer life today and this week? Okay, so we'll read the version on the bits of paper. Uh, let's go. Lower your ear to me, Yahweh. Answer me, for I am weak and needy. Protect me, for I am devoted. You are my God. Rescue your servant who is trusting in you. Show grace to me, Master, for I call out to you all the time. Make your servant glad, Master, for I turn myself to you. Master, you are good and forgiving and abounding in loyalty to all who call out to you. Yahweh, give ear to my prayer. Pay attention to the sound of my pleas. In my time of trouble, I call out to you, for you answer me. Master, there's nobody like you among the gods, nothing like what you do. All the nations which you made will come and worship you, Master, and will glorify your name. For you are great and do amazing things. You alone are God. Yahweh, teach me which way to go. Then I will walk in your truth. Make me wholeheartedly awestruck at your name. Master, my God, I will praise you with my whole heart. I will glorify your name always. For great is your loyalty to me. You deliver me from the depths of death. Proud people stand against me, God. Violent mobs who do not respect you seek my life. But you, Master, are a compassionate and grace-filled God. You are slow to anger and demonstrate great loyalty and faithfulness. Turn toward me and show grace to me. Give your servant your strength. Rescue this child of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your goodness then those who hate me will see it and be ashamed. 
for you, Yahweh, help me and comfort me. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Lord, this is where we want to stand. We want to stand on who you are. Help us, we pray, this week, this month, this year, to turn our hearts, our eyes, our minds to Jesus, to look in his wonderful face, that the things of earth will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Got another preacher in the room. Oh, no, it's gone. Something was, someone's phone was on. Um, Amen.